I've got two words for you. What? Waskily wabbit. No. Okay. <laughs> we have to do it so many times in the episode. I thought I could have a little bit of relief before we start. Hi, Jillian Bezzavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Bam, our merch just dropped. Our yeah. new merch is really, it's so cute. Not a mother. You're wearing the Not a Mother t-shirt right yep. now. Tell them about the Not a Cult. We've got it in a slouchy and in yeah. like a regular t-shirt. And like a, it's just a cool vibe. It's a cool shirt. Yeah. Like it's a, we like, we're, we're into the merch. What can we say? We We've like got this it. all over pattern. That's yes. like our faces and rainbows and martini glasses. Very and, and all, It's all that on like socks. Uh-huh. We've got a baby Liberty onesie. We've got a dog Liberty, little dog. We have pet Liberty. Pet Liberty. That's what it yeah, is. Because we're all inclusive. Go to truecomeobsessed.com, click on the merch link. I just want to say, fam, you know we're going on tour. I cannot talk enough about opening night in Boston, in Boston. on at the Wilbur on June 2nd. Look, it's opening night. It's not gonna be like other shows. We're gonna be doing giveaways. It's gonna be Ooh, crazy. Fun. It's gonna be like we're really gonna blow the roof off the place. Yeah. And Boston, you always show up, but make sure you do this. Yeah. Time too. Also, Charlotte is almost sold out. So if you're coming to Charlotte, we've only got like 60 tickets left. I'm just yeah. saying that. And just one more thing about the merch, we're only doing it for like two weeks. Yes. So it's already been out for a few days. I'm just saying. Yes. Just letting you know, because I know people get upset if they miss it. Just wanted to tell you. And lastly, I've only got a few stops left on my book party tour before Obsessed Fest. I'm coming to London on Friday, August 4th. I'm playing this cute little theater in Soho. I really want you all to come. And Nashville, I really want you to come too. I'm playing City Winery on June 21st. There's a couple more stops other than that. You can find all the info at patrickfails.com. Okay, great. What are we talking about today? Okay. It's an episode of 48 Hours. It's called The Bugs Bunny Defense. Yes. And it is a wild time. Waskily Wabbit. Uh. <laughs> Detectives Laren and McCarthy presented this case to the firearms unit. They had a woman who had accidentally shot her husband with a revolver. There was a lot of blood on the carpet, and there was some blood on the wall. Lots of blood. But based on what I was being told about her, middle-class, educated woman, she didn't fit the profile of a murderer, this could be an accident. She's eccentric and quirky. She gives that impression the minute you meet her. She was very entertaining and very funny, loved to laugh. You either really, really liked Linda, or you really thought, wow, she cannot be trusted. You have to understand, Pat and I joke around a lot with each other. She said, we have this thing that we always do. We morph into cartoon characters. What's up, Jack? There was a Bugs Bunny cartoon with Elmer Fudd, and he does this silly little Elmer Fudd voice, no more bullets. No more bullets. And she said she began to talk to him in her Elmer Fudd voice. No more bullets. And she said she wanted to impress him, and she walked over and picked the gun up. No more bullets. No more bullets. He told me there was no bullets in the gun. Well, I don't believe she could have fired it in the manner she said she did. Evans <laughs> right there. I wanted to believe her story. It's not a, a believable story. I had that gut feeling there was something more sinister. This coming up on goes on forever. The coming up goes on forever, and I truly mean no disrespect here, but our host for the episode is a guy named Richard Schlesinger. Mm-hmm. Keith Morrison, he is not. No. <laughs> no. And, like, you know how Keith clearly writes his own copy? Yeah. He's got his own swagger. He's got his own way. Like, Schlesinger's just, just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, and uh, just, like, he makes a lot of puns and does a lot of cliches and calls them out, which I do appreciate. Yeah. He's like, pardon the cliche, but... No. And I get that. I... <laughs> 
I'm into that. Yeah, yeah. Just be, you know, lay it all out there. You can't all be Keith Morrison, you I know? guess. So this coming up on is a lot of things that we don't get in the actual episode. Yeah. Like this woman who says you either really, really like Linda or you think, wow, she can't be trusted. And I'm like... <laughs> Is that what a false equivalency is? Yeah. Where it's like... Although I feel like a lot of people have the exact same thing to say about me. No. I don't think that at all. There's also a detective in here who cannot get over the fact that Linda's quirky. She's quirky. He's zany. Like (laughs) he says it four hundred times. I know, and like apparently this whole on the coming up on apparently it was an accident. We hear all about it, and everyone talks in an Elmer Fudd voice. I mean, it just never stops. It never stops. And I have in my notes, I cannot wait for this coming up on to be over. I I know. (laughs) So Richard is our host, and Linda, Linda Duffy Guatz. Yeah, we're gonna learn about her second husband later. It's a doozy. World famous. World famous. Sex player. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Had I heard of him before? No. Is he Yanni? That's the only saxophone player I've ever heard of. Does Yanni play the sax? He plays the soprano saxophone. Okay. I think that's what it's called. The Yanni's soprano not sax. A singer? Say again? Yanni's not a singer? Are you kidding me? You don't know who Yanni is? I do. I know he's a musician, but I don't know if he's not a singer. Not only is he a musician, he was sexy as hell. He was like, oh. he defined classical music sexiness in the 90s. Great. My pop culture brain is How bizarre. do you not know who Yanni is? I feel real pity for you. It would Can be I like just not... Google what he looks like? Yeah, Google it. Give it a go. You know who I'm thinking he is? Weird Al Yankovic? Kenny G, probably. Wait a second. <laughs> That's who you're fucking thinking of, isn't it? You're absolutely right. I was thinking of Kenny G the whole time. I was thinking of... Fuck me. I was thinking of Kenny G the whole time. Seven years after she shot her husband in their suburban living room, Linda Duffy Guatz is in a Los Angeles County court denying as strongly as she can that she is a murderess. This was a horrible accident. She's had to convince authorities that fact can be stranger than fiction because her legal defense has featured, among other things, a cast of cartoon characters. Here, let me see that thing. Her defense is going to rely heavily on the words of Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd to explain what happened. And <laughs> like that's real. Like that's, that's really where we are. So they haven't said the name of the murder victim yet. So I stopped and I Googled instead yeah. of waiting for them to do it. His name is Patrick Duffy. Yes. They don't say his name at the top at all. Speaking of the 90s, like Patrick Duffy was the dad on Step by Step. Like he was oh, after Patrick Duffy. Yeah. I think he was also in like Dallas or something. Is he JR? He might have been JR. Or maybe did he shoot JR. He, I don't know. That's the big question. That's Who the shot thing JR? I'm too right? old to know. Exactly. So we have a lot of footage of this police interview because that she did without a lawyer. Linda talks to the police all night long without an attorney. So, Sean McCarthy and Shannon Laren. They are they're, Shannon they're just Laren. Detective, did I write that wrong? I Shannon know. Laren? I call them Sh- Detective Sean and Detective Shannon. Great. Okay, great. They are quite a pair. And at one point we learned that they had to separate and go with different partners. I'm not sure they like each other very much. But they're much. sitting next they to each are. other for the interview. Very cordially. It can be done. Okay, and this is where Richard goes, forgive the cliche, but they really did think they've seen it all. <laughs> yeah, because they've been on the LAPD for like 14 years, both of them. So the 911 call says, my husband was going to go shooting and I accidentally shot him. We need help. That's what Linda says. That's where you always, whenever they give anything other than, oh my God, my husband's been shot, Uh get an ambulance here. Whenever they give too much information, you know they did it. Yeah, Linda did this, no question. And she's trying to blame Elmer Fudd. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
who I'm not the biggest fan yeah, of. Yeah, 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 no. But yeah. like, leave him alone. Is he I Taught I Taught Putty Tat? Yes. Okay. Who I else thought talks I like that in Looney Tunes, That's right? True. He's like a hunter. It's not my thing. I, it's but not my thing. And he's bald. He but just like, really wants to kill Bugs Bunny. Always. He always had that shotgun. It's too much. It's, for children. It's too much. So this whole thing happens on April 26, 2007. They get a call about the shooting at the Duffy house. Suddenly we're in a fucking classroom with the actual (laughs) couch that this man was killed on. This is the couch that that you saw in the living room? Yes. Yes. Mr. Duffy was right here. McCarthy and Laren found Patrick Duffy dead on the couch. His left hand was in his pocket. And his right knee was being supported by a pillow. Very comfortable, relaxed. There was blood pooled on the floor and splattered on the wall. And it was a pretty good-sized blood puddle right in here. Clearly, he had a gunshot wound to the head. I don't know where they are, but it does look like a college lecture hall or something. Exactly. It looks like they use this couch in, like, like lecture demonstrations or whatever. It's the real, actual murder couch. We get a couple couches in this. (laughs) It's true. You're right. Uh, But, yeah. You're absolutely it's right. It's in like a dark room. It's very strange, but they're all we're all here to like look at the couch. Yeah. But the cops tell us that our victim, Patrick Duffy, his his posture was very relaxed. He had his hand in his pocket. His legs were on a pillow. Very comfortable. He wasn't in a, in a fighting or defensive posture at all. What they're alluding to is that he was asleep when this happened. Asleep. Because Linda's story is that like she got his gun because he's a gun lover. He's a fucking gun enthusiast. They want to mm-hmm. make that clear. He's a gun enthusiast and a private pilot. Okay, Patrick Duffy. Sure, all right. But like he's got lots of guns in the house and Linda's trying to learn or whatever and her story is I was showing him this like fancy way that I knew how to show I was trying to impress him but like clearly by the posture of the body on the couch he was asleep he was asleep and and there's like a a gunshot wound to the head right yeah so while on the scene these two cops disagree one of them thinks she walked up to him and shot him in the head while he slept the other firmly believes it was an accident so the our host asks this McCarthy guy this is such a weird moment and this this is why these two detectives don't like each other they hate each other But I don't like, so they asked the guy McCarthy. Do you guys disagree frequently on cases? I disagree with all my partners on every case. I wrote like, oh, you sound like a ton of fun. I get it. What he's saying is, I want us to like, you operate under the assumption that she killed him and I'll operate under the assumption that it was an accident Uh and we'll work, like, we'll pull our resources. But he doesn't say it like that. Because, and again, it's like, right, we don't want a wrongful conviction to happen. That I I totally understand. But to be like, oh, I disagree with everyone all the time. What of it, Richard? And please tell me that you have that same policy when it's people of color, not just like the rich white lady. You know what I mean? So, we meet Julie. Speaking of not friends. (laughs) Julie. (laughs) Julie's here really just to spill tea. Julie hates Linda. But we don't get that right. And like we feel it. Like you can sense it. But eventually the more she talks I'm like oh you fucking hate Linda. You fucking hate Linda. Well like with good reason. She's introduced as like yeah but Julie and a murderer. And a murderer. Julie is introduced as like Linda's college best friends. Uh huh. Where they they went to like singing college together. I went to singing college. I'm not disparaging that. Yeah they met in the music program in the 80s. Thank you. That's a better way to say it. So when they met, Linda immediately lied to Julie. She said, well, actually, I'm from um, Ireland. And she started talking with what I thought was a pretty phony accent. That was my first indication that Linda was a little bit different. Well, and because we're going to learn later when they start interviewing her other friends that, like, Linda, everyone liked Linda at first, but then, like, would find out that she was, like, a pathological liar. Because this is when I'm like, oh, Julie hates Linda. Because (laughs) after graduation, Linda and Julie, quote, ended up working at the same place. (laughs) 
And I was like, that's it. That's totally. all I need to know. Well, what does that tell you? That like, oh, we worked together. No, no, no. Yeah. We worked at the same place. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. to me was a very, very clear distinction. Yeah. And then Richard says, Julie says Linda could be irreverent, even goofy, to which I said, is he fucking with us? Is he on the slide yeah. trying to slip in the name of another cartoon character? I was going to say, also like wrong universe, though. <laughs> totally. Looney Tunes right. and Dis- Disney. Yeah, yeah. Goofy's Disney. 100%. But I, I see you, Richard. I, I see, see you. you. I see your goofy ref. So they worked at the same place. Definitely not friends. Linda thinks they're friends. Julie's like, absolutely not. Because one day at the clear blue sky, Linda calls who she thinks her friend Julie. And Julie's like, oh, Linda's calling. She probably screened the call. But Linda asks Julie to be in her wedding. Right. To Patrick Duffy. Yes. Not from Step by Step. No, exactly. And like she does it and whatever. And like this is where we learn a little bit more about Patrick. Like radio engineer, gun enthusiast, and private pilot. I said, that's a lot of hobbies. It's a lot. But Julie is saying they seemed very happy. Patrick's sister's here to say like they seemed like soulmates. Yeah. The one thing I will say in Linda's defense, we never get a good motive. We never know why she would have done this. We, we don't. Yeah. We don't. We actually have like reason to believe that their marriage was pretty great. We learn like the life insurance policy is decades old. Right. You know? Exactly. So here's Linda's story. They just got home from a doctor's appointment because Patrick had, quote, chronic circulation problems. Yes. Patrick had a plan to go to the shooting range. His 38, one of the three guns he had in the house, was, quote, nearby. Yes. Now, I don't get the sense that it was, like, locked up. Nope. Right? So... And I gotta say, we meet Patrick's brother and sister. They tell us they were raised with guns. The thing their parents always said to them was, you take all your ammo out of your gun before you even enter the house. Enter the house. That was a hard and fast... You don't fuck with that rule. Right. And so, I was gonna say it later, but I'll say it now. The things that Patrick is into, there's a lot of, like, protocol and rules. You can't be a pilot if you're just like, oh, I'll just leave this gun out. Like, a lot of his hobbies involve, like, structure. Right. And I wanna go on record here as saying, like, I'm fine with responsible gun owners. Patrick, at least according to his brother and sister, would be a responsible gun owner. So that's why Linda's story, which you're about to tell, makes even less Less sense. sense. Linda's irresponsible and a murderer. Yes. So she says, you know, normally we kept it locked up, but quote, this day was different. And then the cops are basically like, and that's when it got weird. We do this little silly thing. We always kind of relate little silly conversations to like cartoons that we've seen when we were younger and stuff. And he does this silly little Elmer Fudd voice, no more bullets. And she claims she said to him, no more bullets in Elmer Fudd's voice. No more bullets. And she said his response was, no more bullets. No more bullets. We are told that this is just how Linda and Patrick communicate. They, they just speak in Elmer Fudd constantly. And they would like do voices and make jokes about Looney Tunes, like right. all the cartoons that they watched as kids. Are you going to do it for us? Do I have to? Yeah. I guess I have to. You have to. Okay. There's no getting out of it. This episode was your idea, by the way. It was my idea. <laughs> I didn't think ahead no, 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 that no. I'd be forced that, that to we'd speak be here. in Elmer yeah. Fudd. So, I oh, thought... Get ready for live shows, fam. We're, we got a whole new slate of impressions. Elmer Fudd's going right in the mix. Fuck, I didn't even do it yet. <laughs> going on tour starting June 2nd in Boston. Oh, God. So he would say, this is Linda, he would do a silly little Elmer Fudd voice, she says, and the line is, no more bullets. You got to do it. You got you to gotta really lean into it and commit How to it. How does he say it? No more bullets? <laughs> What's the difference? I don't care. Pick a voice and just do it. Everyone's talking like Elmer Fudd. Everyone's saying no more bullets. The cops are saying it. The lawyers are saying it. We get and more footage. importantly, you're now saying it. I'm saying it. it. We get footage of the cartoon. Uh-huh. Bugs Bunny's saying uh-huh. it. Now, you know who won't say it, though? Our host, Richard. No, he will not. Yeah, he I, says, I made the same note. He says, she said, uh, no more bullets in the Elmer Fudd voice. voice. <laughs> I know. Richard's like, I'm not fucking doing that. And I'm like, finally, that. someone with some dignity. And you... <laughs> 
You know who else wouldn't have done it? What? Keith Morrison. Keith, no. No way. <laughs> but can I just say one thing? Can I mention the Golden sure. Girls for a second? Yeah. She says it so fast, like in conversation. She's like, yeah, and so we were sitting there and then he'd say no more bullets. And so then I just, <laughs> and it reminded me, she said it so oh fast my God. that it reminded me of Sophia. Big lettuce potato. Big lettuce potato. Big lettuce potato. Big lettuce potato. She said it that fast that I just heard Sophia. Big lettuce potato. <laughs> These potatoes were out of tomatoes. Sophia, I don't think this will work. Yes, it will. We just say it fast. Make a lettuce and potato. Potato. You guys, if you don't know what that's in reference to, Look, so, go watch Sophia it. and Rose like get a side hustle business selling sandwiches, sandwiches to like, like local construction workers, and they try to make bacon, lettuce, and tomato, but Sophia fucks it up and gets potatoes. Yeah. And she's like, if you say it really fast, and they Rose don't know the difference. Like, I don't think they're gonna want this. Sure. And she's like, the trick is you say it really fast. Bacon, lettuce, and potato. Bacon, lettuce, and potato. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm not going to live. I'm not going to no. live. That is crazy. It's crazy. Oh, my God. She is saying that she said no more bullets. <laughs> then cut to Elmer Fudd saying it. And we also get the cartoon clip 800, 800 times. times. When he first studied the scene where Linda Duffy killed her husband, Detective Sean McCarthy was pretty sure it was an accident. He believed her story that she had reenacted their favorite Bugs Bunny cartoon. No more bullets. No more bullets. And then fan fired the gun. What she's trying to say is that Linda took, like Patrick was saying it back to her and Linda was saying it. Linda took this to mean that the gun didn't have any bullets in it. So she wanted to show him something that he was teaching her called fan firing. Yes. I didn't know what this was, but if you've ever watched a Western, well, you it, know what it is. Yes. And it's actually was fascinating to learn because you think about Clint Eastwood where he's doing that thing where he's holding the gun and he's pulling the hammer back yeah. over and over and the gun's just firing. And what we learn is that in certain kinds of guns, if you hold the trigger and you like just cock the hammer over and over and over again, right. it will fire faster yeah. than pulling the trigger. Right. Now, this is where Linda's story has holes in it. Yes. Because the brother tells us later, never in a million years would Patrick have gone into the house with a gun with bullets in it. Right. Number and just one. like leave it out. Number two, I believe that Patrick would have been a responsible gun owner and in no world would he have tolerated a situation where his wife is fake shooting a gun in the middle of the living room. Well, any... That's the kind of shit you would do at the ra- Like you wouldn't do that in the living room. No responsible gun owner would allow that. And any responsible gun owner will tell you, call up Bob Ruff and ask him. Yeah. You never, even if the gun is unloaded, you never point a gun, whether it's loaded or not. And like, I never met Patrick Duffy, but I believe he is a responsible gun owner. I just do. Because I think, like we were saying before, his other hobbies have a lot of structure. Like, yes. you have to follow a lot of rules to fly and a his plane. Brother and like, his brother and sister just, are here yeah. to tell us, like, how the gun policies work in all of their homes. Like, that's what a responsible gun, they were always locked up, even, yes. and they never had ammo within them in the house. Like, like really, Exactly. And they have two teenage sons, by the way. So if you are if you have kids in the house, especially, yeah. be responsible. And exactly. I think Patrick was. Right. And so, again, that style of shooting a gun is called fan style. So she says, Patrick, I played this back 25 times. <laughs> because she, again, big lettuce potato. She's speaking very fast. <laughs> she's a wreck because as she says, he told me there were no bullets in the gun. I swear to you she said bullets and not bullets. <laughs> I played I know. this clip I know. back. I know. I was like, did she just say bullets? I know. Well, he told me there was no bullets in the gun. She says once she started fan firing, she couldn't stop in time to avoid hitting her husband, who leaned into the line of fire. And the next thing I know, he, his hand was right there. So then she realized that 
the gun was loaded too late. She couldn't stop. And remember, he was his hand was in his pocket. The guy fell asleep watching TV on the couch. That's exactly. what happened. Exactly. His so, hand is in his pocket. Like, come he on. He didn't lean into the line. He's also not a small man. You know right. what I mean? So remember the detectives, Shannon and Sean? Sean's, yeah. one who, Sean's like, I always disagree with my partners. Yes. Detective Shannon is like, yeah, this is a totally bullshit story. Detective Sean, is, this is when he starts being like, you know what? That story is so weird. And she's such a quirky lady. This just might be true. It might actually be true. And he's like... You know, I'm pretty sure it's an accident, but I need science on my side. Exactly. To prove it. And the important thing to know here is that after, like, this interview with Linda is over, they let her go. They're really not. They let her go, like, three times. Yes. They're not looking at her, like, as a serious suspect. Even though Shannon is like, she fucking did this. She did I guess Sean has more seniority. He's like, nope. And there's no real evidence at this point, so they let her go. So, remember we thought for the first 10 minutes of this there was a single gunshot to the head? No, there were two. Right. And they don't know this until they talk to the medical examiner. Right. And Richard, our host, is like, even seasoned investigators can miss that kind of clue. I'm like, that's more than a clue. Well, but, like, the, Shannon, the one who thinks she's definitely innocent and kind of quirky, is like, I mean, it was a bloody scene. Right. And so, like, when you're dealing with a head wound, which we know those bleed like crazy. Yeah. I can see, like, in the moment, you might not have seen this. And, like, Shannon believed her. Mm-hmm. So, like, he wasn't looking that hard. Right. The point about learning about the second gunshot is that, like, that pokes a major hole in her story. That she shot him once and it was an accident and oh my god and they're like no you shot him twice right so like you gotta now explain that second bullet right and especially with the fan firing if you're using your hand like that like you would stop exactly so then the question is like what's the motive here and there kind of isn't one like they looked happy and they actually were happy the life insurance was decades old there's no evidence of cheating and like they were both kind of like weird people. Yeah. And they found each other. We'll get eventually that the motive could have been that, remember how he had, what was it? He had like like, circulation problems. Chronic circulation problems that she didn't want to like take care of him for the rest of his life. There isn't a good motive. So like that makes this all very cloudy. And now, but things are about to change because Tracy Peck comes along and she's a firearms expert. I kind of love Tracy Peck. Is this gun designed to be fired that way? No. For the purposes of this case, I essentially invented a way in which I would conceivably fan this. Uh, And that included pulling the trigger, releasing the trigger, fanning the hammer, pulling the trigger, releasing the trigger, and fanning the hammer, but doing it pretty quickly. Tracy Peck is here. Yeah. We get 10 unnecessary minutes yes. of too much information. Yes. The point is, Linda said she was fan firing this gun, and Tracy is saying, uh 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 uh, the gun that was used here can't work that way. It's a, it's a 38, and it's impossible it, to it do that. It does not fan fire. It's not built to do that. And so the point is, this is where the second gunshot wound becomes even more of a red flag. Right. Because it's like, look, with that fan firing, if you're going really fast, maybe you could fire off two bullets or whatever. But she's saying it would have taken several seconds to fire that second shot. Yeah. Which means means she did it on purpose. And so Tracy, our expert, is like, this was no accident. She no maintains accident. officially, like, that's her official opinion on the on the situation. And I just gave you 10 minutes of information in Thank 30 you. seconds. You're welcome. Went on forever. <laughs> so then we learned that because of a heavy workload, it took two years. But eventually, in January of 2009, they called Linda in for her second chat. We got to talk about this. A heavy workload. A heavy. So this is Los Angeles County. Someone was killed. I mean. And you would think that, like, there's enough murders and bad shit happening in L.A. that you'd have a lot of detectives on staff because of a heavy workload. That makes no sense to me. That makes no sense to me. No, no, no. And she's just, like, out in the world. Yeah. 
maybe she did it. Maybe she didn't. They right. seemed happy. Right. They both like cartoons. Like the two weirdos <laughs> right. found each other, and yeah. I think that part of it is fucking beautiful. But yeah. she killed him. But like two years, that is unconscionable to right. me. Like at the very least, it's manslaughter. Right. She killed him with a yeah. gun. And like maybe the thinking is there isn't a lot of great evidence. We don't have a motive, and she's not doesn't seem to be like society at large isn't at risk. And like, but they are because I, she's an irresponsible I, gun owner. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. She's children in the house. Unfortunately, you can't put people in prison for that. I, I wish you could. God damn it. What happens here is good because when they bring her in for her second interview, they are like, tell us your story again. You were fan firing this gun. She's like, yeah, totally fan firing this gun. Right. Trying to impress my husband and he moved into the line of fire. I didn't know the gun was loaded. They show her the video of Tracy Peck being like, you can't fan fire this gun. Right. Your story is a lie. So she changes it. Linda yeah, just changes totally. it. She goes, oh my God, did I not tell you this two years ago? So crazy. <laughs> the light bulb went on in her brain and she said, I got to at least change the story a little bit. Linda now said she and her husband had practiced fan firing with an unloaded revolver for years. Did you believe her this time? No. Oh, right. No, no, no. I know that, like, most people can't fan fire with this gun, but we've been practicing this for you. So I'm, like, really good at it, and I figured out a way to do it. Right. So Linda is trying to say that she fired the gun in a way that was both fan firing and an accident. And so the detectives, rather than saying, like, you're a fucking liar and you're going to prison, they make her an offer. They say, meet us down at the shooting range. We'll bring an exact replica of the gun that you had, and you can show us how you did that. And now, in Why on earth do they think that she would do... Like, we know her story is a lie. Why right. do they think she would ever and show up and do this? Instead of saying, this is how it's going to go, right. put you in the back of the car yes. and take her there, yes. Yes. they say, think about our offer, get back to us when you have the time. They let her go, they send they her let home, her go. and then the cops are like, and we just waited to yeah. hear about our offer. Your yeah. offer. It's saying to them that we've got nothing on you. You right. know what I mean? The only thing that we could ever get on you would be if you came to the firing range and showed us that you can't actually and shoot I'm the sure gun like any that. any lawyer right. in town would say, don't, you're not going. Of course You're not, not. responding to this. It's the, a smart move. I mean, she did it, yeah. but it's a smart thing to do. So she just ignored them, and they never followed up. So months and months go by. Then the two cops change partners. Okay, so this was... <laughs> like, I also wanted a little bit more information on this. Do you change partners because the higher-ups decide, like, you're both so good that we need you to train the newbies? Yeah, I don't or know. Or does, like, Shannon go to his boss and be like, I cannot work with I Sean anymore? Work. <laughs> Sean never believes me. All he wants to do is argue. I, well, I don't I don't know the answer <laughs> to that. Because I will say they're sitting next to each other for the interview, but they don't look at each other. There's not a lot of warmth emanating off of They're uh-huh. not, like, going for beers after. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure. I don't think there was any love lost when they got their partners changed. Yeah, but at the same time, they didn't say, I can't be in the same room. No. Interview us separately. <laughs> right. There's some nuance I guess that's true. to this, they, they seem very pragmatic. They seem like men who aren't here to, like, discuss this. They don't have feelings parade with Sean and yeah, Shannon. Yeah, no, I don't you know think they mean? give a shit. No. Yeah, I'll talk about that case <laughs> right. that I fucked up all those years ago. <laughs> Totally. And they say it like, yeah, we, we like, they're not like looking back, we probably right. should have held her or looking back, we should have. They're just saying it like, yeah, we made her an offer that she ignored us for months and months. Well, look, I'm not saying detectives' jobs aren't hard. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. not like, I mean, my God, your job is to solve a fucking murder. Like, that sounds really hard. I'm not doing it. Uh-huh. But like, it, you know. But like, someone died and they have a family and they were and, killed. And like, like, and two years because of a heavy workload. Like, what? But then even more, when cops change partners, we learn that two things happen. I'm sure many yeah. things happen. 
happen. Yeah. But two of those things are, one, you get assigned to new cases, and the old cases that you have then fall by the wayside. Like, what a fucking dream for Linda. And so, oh my God. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, you get reassigned, and then all of a sudden, any case that's unsolved that's on your desk right. gets shuffled to the back of the pile. What? Then we get, they pose a question to the audience. Yeah. There's on-screen text saying, after two police interviews, should authorities have released Linda Duffy? <laughs> Chat live with Richard on Twitter. Hashtag 48 hours. And I'm like, hard no, Richard. No, right, hard exactly, no. Exactly. So five years have it's gone by. unbelievable. And so Sister Catherine, Patrick's sister, yeah. thought the case was closed. Like, she's like, I thought it was a terrible, tragic accident. But she tells us that the day after the killing, the Sister Catherine sees Linda at the funeral home uh-huh. and is like, tell me what happened, girl. She was incoherent. And I said, um, what happened? He was cleaning his gun and it accidentally went off. Linda had told the police that she had shot Patrick by accident, but later that night she told his siblings he'd shot himself. And Linda says to Catherine, it's a totally oh my, different story. he was cleaning his gun and it went off. And, and like, I was like, girl, you got to keep your story straight. This if you're going to kill a person, yeah. keep your story straight. This is a big reveal for many reasons. Yeah. One, she now has three different stories about uh-huh. what happened. And two, again, Patrick is a gun enthusiast. Right. And a private pilot and a radio engineer. Like, there are rules and structure and protocol and all the things. Like, I don't know Patrick, obviously, but I think he would not be cleaning a loaded gun no. based on what his siblings have told us. And also... So we now know, with the benefit of, like, watching the documentary, that he was shot from behind. Yes. So, like, she shot him. Right. So she would have to know that it would have been, like, the wound to his head that killed him would have been impossible for him to inflict on himself. And at some point, Catherine's probably going to find that out, I would be thinking. And I also don't think he'd use a bit, like Elmer Fudd, to confirm that a gun is not loaded. I just don't think he would do that. Yes. A hundred percent. Like, come on. So then the next day, Catherine and Linda see each other again. And Catherine is like, are you sure he shot himself cleaning his gun? And Linda's like, I want to tell you the truth, but you're going to be really mad at me. Uh And she's like, I'm not going to be mad, but you have to just tell me. And now everyone's talking like Elmer Fudd again. (laughs) Can't escape it. I know. She literally says, no bullets. No more bullets. No more bullets. And that's it. Like, she tells her the story that she then eventually tells the cops. And now the siblings are like, look, we didn't love that she lied to us at first. If it was an accident, we'll handle it. But why are you lying first? Yeah. And that is so crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, especially such a disprovable lie. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? So the cops questioned Linda twice. They let her go twice. She never followed up about the gun range offer. She so they just dropped them it. up on the offer to incriminate herself. So they just dropped it. Right. So... Months are going by, and they stop by our house, and wouldn't you know it, there's a for sale sign on the front lawn. And Linda isn't home. No. She's in Italy on her honeymoon. So her two teenage sons are like, oh, I know it's only been a couple of years since my dad was brutally killed in our living room, <laughs> but my mom got remarried. She's on her honeymoon. Now, her new name is Linda Gwatz, uh-huh. and they are, 48 Hours is very excited to tell us about her husband's Lawrence Gwatz, <laughs> yeah. who... Anyone in the saxophone world knows is a world-class player. What is is going on? What is happening? You know what? He and Kenny G definitely know about each other. And Yanni. And Yanni. I think Yanni plays the piano. He does. I mean, that's what Google said. Oh, Kenny G definitely knows about Mr. Watts. But then... Also, how did Linda snag herself a famous fancy saxophonist? And, like, does he know about her husband? I mean, honest to God. 
why she's single and available? I you, don't know. I'm hoping that, like, in whatever year this was, people are googing each other. Can you imagine? Because we learned that they met online. To be very clear, she was not dating him when she killed her husband. No, she wasn't. It was not a cheating situation. Mm-mm. She met him online a year later. But can you imagine your famous saxophonist, Mr. Watts, who the cops learn about, like, they goog him and they find him, like, playing at Carnegie Hall? Yeah. Imagine, you're that Carnegie Hall saxophonist. Yeah. And you find out that the lady that you're going on a date with because you give her a goog fucking killed her husband killed in their living room. Yeah, but you it still was an go accident, on the date, and Elmer Fudd is involved. <laughs> Would you still go on that date? Absolutely not. No, no. Are you kidding? I mean, absolutely not. Do you think? Because his name is Lawrence. Yeah. Do you think people call him Larry, or do you think he's like it's Lawrence, please? It's for sure Lawrence. Right. He doesn't. People try to call him Larry, but he does not stand for he that. He corrects shit. it. It's, it's actually Lawrence. It's actually Lawrence. But then remember Julie? They worked at the same place. <laughs> Julie, they met her in Linda's best friend. And once again, when wedding bells rang. So did Julie Prendergast's phone. She asked me would I sing in that wedding. And I said, what? Linda, I'm not coming to your wedding. Something's not right surrounding the death of Patrick. But she asked her once again to be in the wedding. Yeah. She wants Julie to sing at the wedding. Well, remember they met at singing college. Uh, yeah, the music program. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Julie's like, Absolutely not. And Are Julie, you insane? I know. I love that she straight up says no. She's like, not only am I not singing, bitch, I'm not coming. And she's like, now that we're here, Richard. Right. She's like, Linda was too happy. She yes. had a brand new look. She dyed her hair. She goes, she was just walking on air. And she just moved on too quickly. Like, she definitely looked. I mean, we see the new pictures. of She looks great with the blonde hair and whatever. Then we see the old pictures of her and Patrick. And, like, she looks different. Mm-hmm. You know? She does. So she gets married. They move to Mississippi with her new musician husband. Because he teaches at the University of Mississippi. And so, he's a saxophone professor. He's a saxophone professor. <laughs> but a world, anyone in the oh, sax world knows. Sure. <laughs> I know. We got to bring saxophones back to pop music. Sure. There's a song that I'm obsessed with called Devils in the Canyon. Yeah. Go check it out, fam. I'm obsessed with the song, and there is a saxophone for Jesus in this song. So, uh... Music for a Sushi Restaurant by Harry Styles, I think, has a big uh, Oh, is that right? I love it. Oh, my God. Speaking of the Golden Girls, Dorothy Spornak's son was a professional saxophonist. Yes. He was a jazz musician in New York City, (laughs) playing all the clubs. Yes! So then we get this quote where I said in my notes, this is absolutely unreal. Yeah. When the workload permitted, the detectives went back to the case. Isn't that wild? Because remember, they've got all new cases now, and they could only work on their old cases in their spare time. time. So this is a murder, by the way. Someone was killed. Yes. And just in their spare time. Yeah. So we meet Paul. Paul's a forensic expert. Yeah. And he takes a look at the blood in the crime scene and the police reports. And he's like adding to the chorus of she's lying. The barrel has to be within about three inches of the head in order to produce the spatter. Delhauer says the second shot created a large pool of blood on the floor in the exact spot where Linda said she was standing. She would have been getting jets of blood um, hitting her. And he's like, if she had been standing where she said she was standing, she would have been covered in blood. Right. And it cuts to the detectives, and she's like, she had very little blood on her. The theory is that she was going to kill him while he slept on the couch. Yeah. She shoots him. From the side. From the side. And she doesn't kill him. Like, he shoots him in the head, and he survives. So she shoots him again. Yes. And that's why the wounds were so close to each other. Exactly. But he still was, like, in that relaxed pose. Did she put him in that relaxed pose? I don't know. Right. Or 
maybe he, like, she found out that she hadn't killed him the first time just from sounds or whatever. Or maybe she just, like, shot him again for good measure in her in her mind. Uh, like, I, I don't know if we're, maybe we're looking into it too much. I think she just shot him twice. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, like, her story is provably false. Because if she was standing where she said she was standing, she would have been covered in his blood and she right. wasn't. Now we get a whole bunch of people talking shit about Linda. Because... <laughs> Everyone is like, she was, she's nice at first, because but then you learn she's a compulsive liar. They're interviewing all of her friends. Cause now finally well, the people pros- that know her, people that know her exactly <laughs> that she thinks are their friends. Right. But like the prosecutor's like, fine, I want to move forward with this. We need more information. So Julie's happy to give it. Oh my God. Julie. Julie goes, we all have one gallbladder. Linda had hers removed three times. Basically, Linda is the type of person that endlessly needs attention and makes up these outlandish, like, provably wrong stories, right? Like, all of these lies that it's like, Linda, how many gallbladders do you think we have? Like, at least goog gallbladders before you start telling lies that you keep having your gallbladder removed. Oh, my God. Like, what a boring lie, too. I know. And, like, friend after friend after friend was like, I really liked her until I found out she lied about everything. Everything. I'm trying to figure out what the saxophone is on her. Like, sir, you're playing a Carnegie Hall. You're a tenured professor. Yeah, what you, I don't what's know. What's going on here? But like those people are, I don't know, people who are really manipulative and who lie all the time, like they trick people. Uh, yep, yeah, that's know, true. Like, you know, like people are convinced uh-huh. that they're not horrible people. So finally, Detective Sean comes around and realizes, all right, she's got to be prosecuted. Yes. Here. So in May 2012, they fly to Missouri where five she's now years, living. Five I know. years later she's after been, the murder. And they're saying, like, she, she probably just thinks she got away with it. She's been living like a free woman for five fucking well, years. Well, she basically says as much because they go down to her love nest in Mississippi with the world-famous right. sax player <laughs> and arrest her for murder. And as she's being arrested, she was like, oh, I thought this was over. I right. thought the case was over. That's what she says to the cops. It's wild. So... Joseph, Linda's lawyer. Yes. Real piece of work. (laughs) He says, this is a direct quote. I wrote it all out. She was playing with guns like she'd done so many times before. Oh, my God. And unfortunately, she rapid fired into the top of his head. I'm speechless. Speechless because, again, it's like no responsible gun owner. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's all too convenient, Linda. It's all too convenient. Yeah. And Elmer Fudd. You're bringing Elmer Fudd into it. But now we meet the prosecutor who says in all of his 20 years, he's never seen a case rely even partially on a cartoon. Because now we're all talking like Elmer Fudd again. This is so wild because they say he has to actually read the cartoon in the Elmer Fudd voice. There's a transcript of it. Because it has to be legally transcribed into the record. Bugs is having a conversation with uh, Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd. Watching a prosecutor parrot a bunny was a first for us, too. But an official transcript of the cartoon had to be made. What do you know? No more bullets. And then Bugs Bunny says, no more bullets? And because the defense was relying on this so heavily. So they have to do it. So host Richard says, look, we both know that strange things happen. And the prosecutor is like, oh, of course. But that's not what this is. No. He was asleep. She shot him twice in the head. End of story. Yeah. And so, like, the first trial, like, that's kind of the case. It goes to the jury and they, we meet some of the jury. Well, I have major issues. They deliberate for one day. Yes. They couldn't agree and the judge had to declare a mistrial. Can you give a shit? Can you try a little harder? I know. One day and you're like, oh, I guess that's it. Well, that's all, gonna, folks. What we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> what we're going to learn is that, like, because of course they try this again. In the first trial, they gave a lot of information and what the jury is saying is that, like, it seemed that they really loved each other. They, like, loved this weird talking in cartoon yeah, voices. There's no reason for people. her to have... They just couldn't find motive. They couldn't find a reason 
reason for her to have done this on purpose. Right. So a year goes by. We're at trial number two. The yeah. prosecutor streamlines the argument. Yes. Keeps it simple. The marriage was strained. Patrick was sick. She didn't feel like taking care of him. She killed him and she made up a stupid story. Now, her defense lawyer brings his own couch into the courtroom. The fucking theater of it all. It he is... brings his own couch from his house into the courtroom. But it's definitely, I think it's from his office because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a definitely, it's a fancy <laughs> pants like executive it's couch. It's like a leather couch. It's like a love seat more right, than Right, but it's the one that has like all the like rigid, the bumps in it. It's really <laughs> fucking fancy. It has like, like the little like divots on the. Yo, yeah, with like the metal sort of yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like laying on this couch doing all this theater, but like for nothing. Right. So then Tracy Peck gets on the stand. Tracy Peck is the gun expert. Yes. So she's here to say that like all of Linda's stories are lies and it's impossible to do the fan firing with the 38, whatever. Right. She gets on the stand. Responsible gun owner, Tracy is. Yes. She asks the judge, may I use the gun to show the jury? Oh my God. Before this happens, we are told from the host of the show that the judge apparently is a class clown. He loves to make people laugh. He loves to keep the he's courtroom like, light. He's like, I got the cartoon case. Yeah, he's like, he's like, see the cameras? They're all looking at me. I'm the star here. He literally says this. So Tracy, may I use the firearm to Please. demonstrate? Just aim it at the jury. <laughs> The courtroom erupts in laughter. Everybody laughs. Tracy's I don't get like, it. Uh-huh. I don't understand. Why is gun humor funny? I don't get it. If I'm on that jury, we are in a trial where a woman is claiming we all thought the gun was empty, but it actually has a bullet in it. Right. That's the defense here. Yeah. And you're going to like joke about pointing a fucking gun at the and jury. Like, Please have that be a fake gun, a prop gun. Yeah. Also, yeah. stop pointing guns at people. Uh, honest to God. Tracy says, Linda's lying and I can prove it with the gun. And if everyone can just shut up and stop laughing for five seconds, <laughs> may I have your attention, please? I can prove it. Yes. So the prosecutor can't wait for this to be over. Right. right? He wraps it up in like two days. He doesn't include all the forensic testimony like the first trial. He doesn't include the recorded police interviews where she talked about Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. So this is a big deal. It's a calculated move. This is the reason why it was a hung jury in the first place. Because when you bring in all that testimony about Elmer Fudd and they had this lovey-dovey relationship and they were sweet with each other and they had these inside jokes, that's why the jury couldn't find motive. Mm -hmm. This evidence about that kind of stuff can only be introduced if the prosecutor introduces it. Right. The defense can't use it. Right. So he did introduce it at the first trial. He does not the second time. And it's the crux of the defense's case. And so what that means is additionally, that the jury will only hear Linda's side of the story if she takes the stand. I mean, it's such a brilliant calculated move by the prosecutor. And then if she takes the stand, she's open to cross-examination and then game over. Exactly. So the prosecutor is hoping she'd take the stand because he wants to have a little fun at work today. (laughs) You know? But the defense instead calls detectives from the scene. The defense calls the detectives. Right. Specifically, Detective Sean, who took actual years to come around. Exactly. And basically, Sean's up there to be like, she was kooky and zany and eccentric and weird and cute. He loves describing her that way. He's like into her. (laughs) Is he into her? I don't know. It's like, those are not words you use to describe a murderer. Right. You know what I mean? Those are words you like use to describe your quirky girlfriend. Right. But he also is on the stand. Like, he explains that they called her in twice. They let her go twice. Yeah. And the defense is saying, like, See? Right. Even why the detectives the co- thought she was innocent. Like, why would the cops do that? They knew it was an accident. The defense also calls her two sons, and we who are now adults. Yeah. That creepy music. I know. That creepy, like, lullaby music. It's very weird. And then also, they it. call their own gun expert, who just gets up on the stand and refutes everything Tracy had said about how you can't rapid that's fire. That's just what that. they do. That's but, like... like... I know that that's what happens, but it makes me so mad, because it's like, no, Tracy's evidence is actual evidence right. that she murdered him. You can find 
anybody to refute it. And then it's like, what is the jury supposed to believe? Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, how is that kind of like, how is that allowed? I, I don't, don't know. get it. Because I mean, in these cases, the experts always just cancel each other. If I'm a juror, right. I'm like, I don't know. The pretty blonde lady said it couldn't work that way. The other guy said it could. I guess we don't listen to either of them. Right. Because when they do that, it takes like the first like 30 minutes of an expert's testimony. You have to prove why, how you're an expert. Totally. So a, mo- a lot of the conversation is just like, so where'd you go to school and how long have you been doing this and how yeah. so they have to list their credentials so that's that e- that makes it even more complicated but the when jury. the experts are canceling each other out all you're left with is evidence and motive yeah of which we have not much of either right well the blood is i think a big deal yes but the f- and like her changing story i think that's also a right. big deal but the defense wants to show linda's side of the story somehow and they find a loophole yeah it's the 911 call so her lawyer worries the jury will hear nothing about fan firing. And then he comes up with an idea. So I'd like to refer the court and counsel page five of the 911 transcript. He finds a reference to it in the 911 tape prosecutors have already introduced. A long time ago, he showed me how to pull the thing back on top of the gun and pull the trigger real fast. Linda is talking about fan firing on the 911 call. She's giving way too much information. Yeah. It's such, to me, it's such an admission of guilt. Right. And so, like, this is going off the rails. We get back and forth for another, like, 15 minutes. Right. And Richard, the host, says the jury didn't see any cartoons, but they did see an animated video. Uh, because the, I didn't know that this was allowed. Yeah. I thought this, like, actually was not allowed. But the prosecution animated what they think happened. Right. To show them, like, look, she did it. Now... To me, that's like you're putting it in the jury's head. Like, I wouldn't think that that would be admissible, but here we are. But here we are. I guess it is. In any event, the jury goes out. They deliberate for 24 hours. They come back and find her guilty. And what no one is talking about, too, in the trial, no one's talking about responsible gun ownership. Exactly. No one is bringing that up at all. And I I I can't believe it. The documentary does. Because when we get a conversation with Patrick's brother and sister, they talk about responsible gun ownership and how they were raised. That's how they grew up. Exactly. But, like, the way this episode ends, it was so, because the Lizzie Borden episode we did, uh-huh. was the 48 hours where they reconvened a new jury for right. this like 200 year old trial they like because the first jury here in this case found her not guilty and the second jury finds her guilty they're like they get some of the jurors from both trials together and they're like why did you find her not guilty and you right. found her guilty and the difference is the amount of information the juries were given mm-hmm. the jury that was given more information found her not guilty and the jury that didn't get all the testimony about the Elmer Fudd and the Lovey Dovey and the relationship found her guilty just based on the evidence Right. And they're saying, like, the jury that found her not guilty is like, we just go back to, they seem to really love each other. They seem to have this great relationship. We couldn't find any reason why. And then the jury that found her guilty is like, yeah, but she, like, changed her story a bunch of times. And, like, we know now the gun expert showed us that you couldn't fire the gun the way that that she said she did. You know, so, like, that was how they found her guilty. And it's just kind of, like, in the end, they say, wouldn't you want all of the information? Yeah. And the jury that got less information and found her guilty was like, yeah, I would have, like, all yeah. the information possible. Right. They say, would it have changed my outcome? I don't know. Right. But so what happens is the jury comes back in like 24 hours. Yeah. She's guilty of second degree murder. She faints. Linda yes. faints at the yes. news. She has to be rolled out of the room in a the desk chair. The prosecutor is like, I always thought she was an actress. So that was her moment. So that was her big moment. Yeah. So like months go by. Linda's being sentenced. She's crying and she says it was a mistake. Her new husband speaks on her behalf. Yes. Asks for leniency. Says she's this wonderful, perfect human being. Her sons agree. And, you 
you know, it's second degree murder and it's 40 to life and the judge's hands are tied, he says. And he says, my oath requires that I impose at minimum 40 years. And best friend Judy is thrilled. She's thrilled. She's like, Lynn is exactly where she should be. Yeah. And like, she's appealing and there are no updates. I Googled it today. And yeah. so like, she killed him and blamed Elmer Fudd. Were you a Looney Tunes person? Did you watch it? I'm tiny and toony. We're all a little loony. That's tiny And in this tunes, cartoony, right? we're invading your TV. Yeah, it's Tiny Tunes. Cute. I Look at you. <laughs> Girl, we did what's it called? The Bugs Bunny defense. The Bugs Bunny defense, right? Which is awesome. Which is interesting because it's really the Elmer Fudd defense. That's it's true. Not, but Bugs it's, Bunny. But I think people like know Bugs him better. Bunny yeah, yeah, more yeah. Than Elmer Fudd. Uh, fam, run over to our merch store. Get your merch. The window is closing. It's uh, Tuesday now. We've only got like another week and a half. Yep. And then when it's gone, it's gone. It's gone. Come see us on tour. We're yep. opening in Boston June second. Wilbur, Boston. We want you to be there. Check out my book party. I'm on, I've got I think six more shows. Oh great! I'm going to Portland, Nashville, Detroit, London, London, Cape Cod, and then the official book release party in New York City on September 26th, the day the book comes out. Fam, I'm doing a brand new story. <gasps> so the chapter you've seen me touring the country with, I'm doing a new one. It's Ooh. about the weekend I spent with B. Arthur, the Golden Girl B. Arthur. I was her host at my college for a weekend, and she was mean to me the whole time. And it's it's just <laughs> about how mean B. Arthur was to me, oh. and it's hilarious. And there's video from a college days you, you're gonna oh, want to see you gotta it. go you it's got, gonna I'll be, the, be there yeah it's the very first time I'm, I'm doing it September 26th Fun. New York City and Sony Hall can't wait uh, what are we doing next we are doing you ready for this yeah god forbid the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty <gasps> it's like the pool boy and the evangelical preacher is it called the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty yes it's it's called god forbid wait is that Colin, the one? Oh, it's the Jerry pool boy Fowler, one the pool boy oh, the pool boy shit. and the evangelical political whatever like it's, dude preacher it's a mess I and his wife yeah. a little bit of a thruple action oh or my yes God. and no it's uh it's like Lindsey Graham Jr. or whatever right Jerry Falwell Jerry Falwell they're all the same they're all they're, they're all might the as well same. have been Lindsey Graham it probably was <laughs> alright fam stay tuned for the trailer for that and our funny and hilarious outtakes yeah. and that's it we love you alright we'll see you later alright bye bye as a pool attendant, I would get hit on. But if I would have known that accepting this woman's invitation to go back to her hotel room would have led to a scandal involving the president of the largest Christian university in the world and the president of the United States, I would have walked away and just enjoyed my private life. The Falwells are the Southern Gatsby's. They're wealthy, powerful. With a Christian's communications empire. And they're sloppy. They have a public image, but behind the scenes, they're freaks. At the time, I didn't really know who they were. My brother was at the age of one of their sons. He started being friendly with the kids. They had no idea that their dad liked to record his wife having sex with me. <laughs> what is happening? Becky was in love with this kid. Jerry was looking at keeping his wife happy. They were bringing him into a world he couldn't imagine. Real estate, politics. He was on top of the world. I'm like, this is it. I have never heard of anybody buying some kid that they met at the pool for a half million dollar business. Like, what's going on? We have a very powerful endorsement coming. Jerry Falwell Jr. Trump didn't fit the model of the evangelical candidate. There was some sort of relationship between Falwell, the pool attendant, Trump and Michael Cohen. He was paid to dig up dirt on people and control them with that dirt. I'm screwed. This is where it became dangerous. You don't know what lengths people are willing to go when they have so much to lose. If they wanted to make me disappear, they can do it. 
The Falwells are predators. Anytime you have sex and then makes religion, that's some nasty, nasty shit. It was an atomic scandal. Jerry Falwell writes, I was not involved. I know the truth about them, and the whole world is going to find out. I can't place it. I can't even picture him. Yanni with the fucking hair? Look at what your hair just did, by the way. <laughs> I love I it. I can't believe you don't know who Yanni is. You didn't have the Yanni album? No. Are you? <laughs> so are you saying that you had a Kenny G album? I did have the Kenny G album. I did have the Did you not? No. <laughs> Tell me that part about Kenny G again. <laughs> I've met so many couples on my book tour, like the women who bring their husbands mostly. And so many husbands are like, yeah, I hear you. That scream laugh from the shower every morning. Thanks. Good morning, husband. Hi. Hope you're, hey, get the, you know how she likes her coffee. Bring it to her in the shower. Yeah. Oh, or don't. Because then it gets all watered down. Okay, great. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) I just brought up the Golden Girls. You're right. Then we come back out of the ad. We get the Bugs Bunny cartoon all, all over again, again. Just as a reminder. I know. A lot of bullets. 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 It feels so weird it in my mouth. It feels so weird. I don't like it. Me either. That's all, folks.